When I went to college, my TVI, the first thing she always said is, she said, make sure that that first day of the semester, you sit down with your professor, every one of them, and say, hey, I'm Greg Stilson, I'm, I'm a blind individual, I'm gonna be in your class, regardless of whether you want me here or not, and we're gonna work together to figure things out. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Our guest today has worked for many different places in the blindness field and recently found himself employed by the American Printing House for the Blind. Greg is another professional I only run into at conferences In fact, I was supposed to see him this week, but due to COVID-19, our plans were altered, just like many others. I respect Greg a lot, but I'm going to let his expertise speak for itself. So I'm Greg Stilson. I am the head of global innovation at APH. Um, and I've been in the assistive technology field, the education field for, uh, or for education for uh, the better part of 15 years. Now you are currently at an event we're hosting in Texas called Texas Focus. And so I sat in your session earlier and you mentioned that you didn't really see yourself working in the VI field when you were a kid. So how did that happen? How'd you come over to our side or the dark side? <laughs> the dark side, no. I always, I, you know, what's funny is I always thought uh, in some way, shape, or form I was going to end up in education because I kept seeing myself as like the network guy that would always take away permissions from people or <laughs> determine like or who had, them. or grant them permissions. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, figure out why printers weren't working, <laughs> all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work remotely uh, doing tech support for Humanware. And I lived in Minneapolis at the time, and it's really cold in Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, you mean I don't have to like walk to go get on the bus and then walk to an office in the negative 15 to 20 degree temperatures? And so I was like, okay, sign me up. So that was really how my career started at Humanware. And things just kind of progressed from there. I, I got really interested in the business side of things um, and the sales process. And uh, it, it eventually kind of went into product development and and really how where where the revenue is coming from how to calculate you know your your profit and loss and all that kind of stuff and so um really had an opportunity to kind of grow within humanware they they were um, a fantastic company to work with i still have a lot of really close friends there um, and they gave me a ton of opportunities you've talked a little bit about how you're uh you're really passionate about uh, education and working with TVIs and O&M specialists. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you like that? I think so much of it has to do with I was that angsty, low vision kid that never wanted to, to use my cane. I never wanted to admit how bad my vision was. I was the nightmare kid that a lot of TVIs work with, right? And um, I remember watching so much of the creative mechanisms that they use to to try to provide things in formats that I can understand, right? And so for a long time, I just, 
I saw the the daily struggle and the daily creativity that they had to come up with to put things in ways that I would be able to to piece together in my head, right? And so being able to to provide a solution where I can come up using technology, we can we can make both the TVI's life easier and we can make the students' life easier by providing things and making things more inclusive from the ground up is is step one, right? Making mm-hmm. sure that they don't have to make those on the fly adaptations. Um, is a big piece. So, um, and then I, you know, I, I think in the last 15 plus years of, of doing this, I've started to recognize that, you know, it's not just, you know, part of my, my talk today was about high tech, but also the low tech piece. And one of those low tech things that really is a huge asset to teaching students early on is that whole self advocacy and and social confidence, right? And so um, that in of itself, um, you know, I think a lot of it is focused on on curriculum and and things like that. And part of you know part of that curriculum needs to be that the student is is able to advocate for themselves because that in and of itself is going to to serve them when technology doesn't, right? And so. I think there's, I've developed this big passion to, to kind of help, um, you know, continue to, to, to push that idea of self-advocacy and that these students deserve to, to learn how to do that. So I've seen you uh, many times on the conference circuit. Both of us go to a variety of things that we happen to run into each Just other. Just a couple. Just a couple. And obviously through your career, you know, you've you know, I don't know if this is rude to say or not, but like you've got the social confidence thing down. So like what, how, how do you think, what tips do you have for kids or or what changed in you or have you just always been like this? I, according to my parents, <laughs> I never shut up as a kid. So social, social confidence has never been a thing that I struggled with. But I think a lot of that is also because my parents raised me as essentially another sighted kid, right? Like they expected nothing less than what they expected from my siblings. And so when I look back on what attributed to maybe me being more outgoing or me willing to ask for what I needed, um, I think a lot of it is because my parents essentially made me do that from the ground up and said, look, you're not getting away with doing less. If you need help, ask us, ask us how to do it or ask us a different way of showing you how to do it. Um, so they were really focused on the whole self-advocacy thing really early on. And um, my TVIs were, you know, they echoed that as, as time progressed. Um, and I remember uh, when I went to college, um, my TVI, the first thing she always said is she's like, if you want, I don't know why she gave me this tip, but it, it was one that served me really well throughout my college career. She said, make sure that that first day of the semester, you sit down with your professor, every one of them, and say, hey, I'm Greg Stilson. I'm I'm a blind individual, but I'm in your class for the semester. And here's what I know has been successful for me in the past. And uh, I want to see if we can work together to, to make sure that, that I get the information I need. And having that on day one sort of set the precedent that I'm going to be in your class regardless of whether you want me here or not, and we're going to work together to figure things out. And it, I, outside of one professor in college, I never had any professors who pushed back on that. And I think part of it is because I came to them with that level of you know, self-advocacy and confidence to say, look, I know that this is going to work, and I've done this before. Let's work together. And usually they, 
they were pretty receptive to that. I mean, it seems obvious, right? But I think that a, lo- a lot of kids go to college and they, they're they nervous about putting that expectation right up front, but yep. kind of putting it out there on the table makes it not that, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Part of my identity, um, and this was not the way it used to be, right? That when I was a, when I was in middle school and high school, I, the last thing I wanted to be referred to as was the, you know, the blind kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to college, one of the things that I think really changed in me, and it, there was a couple mentors of mine who, um, who are blind individuals as well, is they said, own it, right? Like, this is part of who you are. It's not going away. And so I think what really changed in me was that, that you know, I, I am... I am a person, and, you know, I, I know there's that person first, you know, you say person first or whatever, but I think everybody has their own preference on that, right? Like, I, I have no problem calling myself a blind person or a person who is blind, but it's part of who I am, right? And so if you own that and you recognize that the, this is what you need to do to be successful, then it just becomes part of, part of the equation, right? I, there's a certain point, I think, when something clicks, um, in your maturity level and you're like okay you know in order to be successful I am gonna have to 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 own part of this and one of the things that I I specifically remember is I was um, it was after my senior year in high school I was with one of the the mentors of mine who was who was blind and we were shopping it was in like a grocery store, and you know how the, the, they have those like end caps that have all the the whatever stuff that's on sale. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't have. I was wasn't using my cane, and totally biffed the end cap and knocked the whole thing over. And it it was like, it was like that slow motion situation <laughs> where like stuff is flying everywhere. Like it looks like I just exploded everything, and you feel like time stops and everybody's looking at you. And it was one of the, like you know it's. I look back on it and I'm like, it probably wasn't that big of a deal, but in my brain, it was like the most mortifying experience ever, right? Yeah. And so I remember later on, my friend um, asked me, he's like, why weren't you using your cane? And I said, oh, I didn't, I don't need it. And he goes, oh, do you? I think the end cap would beg to differ on that. <laughs> and he asked me, he's, he's, and this always resonates even today, right? You know, you're talking 20 plus years later. Um, he said, wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather people questioning your vision rather than your intelligence or other things about you, right? And and to me, I'm somebody who takes pride in, in being somebody who thinks things through and stuff like that, and I had always thought that, right? And so, you know, I, I can't help how much I can or cannot see, and so being able to, to put forth sort of this image of somebody who's kind of got it together, um, you know, I realized at that point that having a cane, if I knock something over, people are going to understand why that happened, right? And they're going to, it may be because I didn't use my cane right, but they're going to say, okay, he didn't see that. He, he's not just aloof and not paying attention and kind of whatever, right? And yeah. I don't know, that always stuck with me. And ever since then, I started using a cane and really sort of accepted who I was as a blind person, right? So that one point in time and what someone said to you was what sort of flipped the switch? I think so, yeah. When I look back in, in my life, like that moment is kind of where it all clicked into place is like this is part of me now. I think everybody needs people like that in your life that can kind of make you look into the mirror and say, who am I? Um, 
Yeah. And it's a it's a good friend to have, right? You know, I think about that a lot that there are, uh, you know, there's certain people in your life that tell you the truth whether or not you want to hear it. Yep. And we actually share a friend, Adrian, mm-hmm. who he's one of those people to me. Like there's a, there's a few people that I can ask a real honest question to and they'll yep. give me some real feedback. I relied very heavily on Adrian when we were doing um, product testing for the Braille note and things like that mm-hmm. because I knew that, Adrian would tell me if something sucked and if it was bad and a terrible idea. And you need that honesty from people, right? Yeah. And if you if you hide that or if you if you don't acknowledge that maybe somebody's making the wrong choice or somebody's going to do something that's not good for them, um, you know, are, are you doing them a service at that point, right? So now you are at APH. So... I know that you're, you've been familiar with their products for a long time, yeah. but now you're like in the thick of it. So what are some of the things that APH is doing that you're the most excited about? You know, I love, um, I never, being somebody who's sort of high tech and, and looking at the, the high tech solutions and stuff like that, I, I never really spent a lot of time looking at the entire gambit from like low tech to high tech, right? And mm-hmm. one of the things that I think APH, one of the most valuable pieces that they provide TVIs and students is a lot of the low-tech stuff, a lot of the kits that, that you know, if you look at things like Tactile Doodle and, and Tactile Town and that kind of stuff where it's nothing flamboyant and flashy and, you know, ex, you know there's no AI or computer vision involved there, but the, they're tools that build that basic fundamental foundation for you know, understanding what a map looks like or understanding how a town looks like or, or where a building fits into your route that you're going to be going on, that kind of stuff. And it it wasn't until I joined APH and started getting introduced to some of those low-tech products that I saw really where the progression goes to high-tech. And I think knowing that and knowing the progression of, you know, a student starts here and then goes to this tool and then goes to that tool will help me when I'm looking at building some of the high-tech solutions that, that will work in the classroom because I have to know where a student starts. Um, you can't go from you know, point A to point J without right. crossing to the other ones first. And so that was really exciting, seeing a lot of the, um, the, the low-tech stuff. And, and I think um, one of the things I'm most excited about was, is how APH is really focusing on partnerships now. Um, it's not all about building products from the ground up at APH. There's so much tech and so much knowledge and expertise in this world. And to be able to partner with really um, interested companies and companies that have skill sets that we don't have at APH but can help us build better products is, um, is, is something I'm really excited about. It's just it just makes a lot of sense to me. You know, we we aren't a very big field, and so to be overlapping each other just seems like an inefficient use of our resources. Oh yeah, hundred so. percent, absolutely. I know, you know, um, one of the things that that Craig Metter, the the president of APH, is really passionate about is this concept of knowledge sharing, right? And being able to we have so much, as you said, expertise in this field. Um, and there's resources that you know TSBVI is using, and there's resources that Washington State School for the Blind is using, and Wisconsin School for the Blind is using, and they're all using different resources that are super valuable things. And you know, being able to to provide a resource repository that that people can find 
um, so that we're not all going in our own separate directions and duplicating each other's efforts, but actually being able to provide a way that people can find all of this material is something I know Craig's really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Well, and you all are working on getting that whole Connect Center launched, which I'm, I know just a little bit about it because of the stuff that they took over from AFB, but I'm excited for that to be off the ground. Yeah, it's another resource that is you know, very much needed. Um, you know, you have tools like Family Connect and things like that um, that, you know, go beyond education, right? There's there's so much of a need, um, you know, when you think of APH, you think of how they work with K-12 students. And that's, you know, that's probably the first thing that pops into people's mind. But, you know, we, we work a lot with Voc Rehab. We work a lot with adults. And I think that's a place that we can uh, further our work is adult learning and taking the curriculum work that we've done with students and how do we adapt that to adult learners learning Braille and what type of tools do adult learners need and maybe we need you know different types of Braille dots because some of them have more retinopathy than others and things like that so you know those are some of the things that we're looking at is is how do we mature our uh, curriculum for that that audience as well. So Aside from targeting different populations, where do you think we should be headed? At, we should be headed as a field in product development. What do you think our priorities should be? That's a great question, um, and I know that I was brought in as the, the senior director of a lot of words, so I should know that. Um, you know, I, I I think there's still you know, one of the things that we talked about in in the presentation today right there's so much work yet to be done in the indoor spaces for orientation and mobility from a um, technology piece and coming up with this way of of giving turn by turn directions and providing indoor information um, it's it's still that untapped piece that has not been been solved yet um, there's so many different directions going that's one. Um, I think there's a ton of work that can be done yet in um, tactile graphics and ways of rendering information in a tactile format for students. And, and if you ask me how that's going to be done, I don't have an answer for you yet because there's many approaches. Um, you know, we were talking yesterday actually with the, some, some colleagues and, and they're like, do you think there's going to be a day that like they're going to be able to trigger certain synapses in your brain so that you think you're feeling a graphic? And I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> also, super scary. Yeah. Um, but like the, you know, that's that's the other side of it is is um, how how do we get these tactile images in formats that. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of less is more with tactile graphics, right? If you get too detailed, then a student isn't able to, to understand what they're looking at. So how do we get, say, something you get off of Google Images in a format quickly that a TVI can do um, that a student would understand what that is? So there's a number of things with tactile that I think that we can do. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of the holy grail concept of at some point we're going to basically have a braille kindle type of thing where a student in one tablet in one thing is going to be able to read braille is going to be able to feel a tactile graphic and it's going to be it's ways off but it's the kind of stuff that APH is really looking at hard and that's one of the things that really drew me to them um you know APH uh you know was always a great resource but I didn't look at them uh 
as a as a you know massive innovator for a long time and i think that over the past you know several years that's that's an approach they've really focused on do you think that as a whole we're making significant progress in our field or do you think we're still not moving fast enough i i think it's hard to make progress when some of the big high-tech stuff um hasn't quite you know it hasn't what's the word i'm looking for we um The, the basic foundation pieces, the low-tech stuff, there's still nothing high-tech that beats that, right? And so I, I'm very much of the mindset that if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. So I don't know if it's a matter of moving forward from a technology perspective yet, and I don't think that we're to the point where the high-tech stuff has beaten the low-tech stuff. And that's okay. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. I think from a curriculum perspective we're definitely looking deeper um, the, the the work that's going on with CVI and, and things like that is is really incredible that you know I think we are moving forward in that progression um, but like I said from a technology perspective if the high-tech stuff and this is really where I pushed um, today in the in the talk was you know the low-tech stuff is as important or more important than the high-tech stuff because you can't move to high-tech until you have a good foundation there yeah, I think that's a it's an important um, message to send too, because you know I know we think a lot about um, technology for older students and college students and and all that kind of thing, but you know it's it's easy to forget what the, what all they had to learn before they got to that point. Yeah. Like they didn't just jump into it. Right, and I think one of the things that APH we're looking at is um, you know uh, what how do we provide tools that create transferable skills, right? We, we know the unemployment rate of, of folks who are blind and low vision. And um, how can we take the work that, that TVIs and, and um, the resources that are in K-12, how do we get those students to the point where when they graduate, they're using the tools that they need to use in college and in a workplace, right? So... Um, there's nothing wrong with um, with using a note taker exclusively for a lot of things, but eventually you're going to get to uh, you know a job and you're going to have to use a Windows machine, right? So that's just one example of being able to have the transferable skills of keyboarding and using a screen reader and that kind of stuff. So um, trying to focus on uh, things that that transfer to those secondary and, and employment level pieces. So, given your job title is so fancy. No, it's just a lot of words. <laughs> and that it has the words global innovation in it. There's a lot of pressure there. But do you have anything, like, if you, if you look at this position for, like, five or ten years, are there, is there any, like, big thing you'd really like to accomplish for APH? Or have you thought that far yet? I'm two months in, so uh, I'm... <laughs> trying to figure out where all of the manuals are on the network drives. Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, one of the things that I'm, I, I picture APH as, you know, I, I, I see APH today as this, this resource beacon in the U.S., right? And I would love to see APH be looked at as a resource beacon globally as well. And whether that means that we have partnerships, and we, we do have a few partnerships with, with some of the other organizations, the RNIBs and the Vision Australias and things like that. But um, I'd like to see us get into 
some non-English speaking countries that that don't have a lot of resources. Um, APH has a we're in a good position that we can um, work with various partners to provide things um, at probably lower cost than than you'd be able to get other places and things like that as well. So, being able to to look at APH in those countries as a as a potential resource is something that that I'd be pretty excited to see happen here in the next, you know, five, ten years. Due to these unusual circumstances, you likely find yourself in need of more online resources. Well, TSBBI is here to help. Visit library.tsbbi.edu to view webinars and training videos from our staff. Also, check out the new TSBBI Coffee Hour. Every Monday and Wednesday at 10 a.m., meet with TSBBI outreach team members to learn a variety of topics or just spend some time chatting with other professionals. To find out more, visit TSBVI on Facebook or at tsbvi.edu. I don't know about you, but I feel like Greg has a really big responsibility on his hands. His job title includes the words global innovator. And so I think that has some pressure to go with it, but I know Greg will handle it. On the day we're recording this, our city has just issued a shelter in place. And I'm sure many of you are finding yourselves in the same situation or wondering what's going to happen next. So uh, I hope that our podcast and voices like Greg are comforting during these times. I know they bring me some level of comfort. And if you're tuning in after the world stood still, we're happy to be able to talk about it in the past tense. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. We will see you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.